0: Welcome to the St. Joseph Radio Presents live program broadcasting to you from the Rome of the West, St. Louis, Missouri. The program that for over 30 years has brought you eloquent speakers from across the globe to help explain, clarify, and evangelize the Catholic faith. Our program covers a variety of topics relating to current issues and occurrences in our daily lives. Now, with the aid of technology, we are able to bring the gospel message to the four corners of the world where Christ himself did say, those who have ears ought to hear. It is our hope at St. Joseph Radio that through these programs, we can help evangelize the world and change one soul at a time. Now, here is your host to introduce today's guest and topic. Well, Thank you, Matt.
1: This is your host today, Peter Karutz. I'm live in studio with Sean Mueller, or something. that. Miller we yeah Miller. but it's spelled differently and I'm trying to give him a bit of a, a little bit of grief This is St. Joseph Radio presents coming to you live from St. Louis, Missouri, the Rome of the West and we are going to be talking about St. Joseph and we're not just going to talk about him a little we're going to do part one today, part two another day. Mm-hmm. And, and we're going to talk about, I guess, all, uh, all of the manuscripts that he put together and, and all of the
2: thousands of words written about him in yeah, scripture. Quite a bit, right. He didn't say too much. He didn't say too much. Not one single recorded word of his yeah. in scripture. But silence speaks volumes. And that's what we're going to try and dig into today.
1: There we go. Give us about two minutes on who you are and where you are, and maybe one minute. Because I know you're at Immaculate Heart. And uh... Yeah,
2: so my official title, I'm not into titles, but I'm a DRE at a and Mary Parish in New Mellie. So uh, DRE, it stands for Director Religious, of Religious Education, but I always say it's kind of like a uh, daily reading of experts. So basically, I try to just read the authority sources, do my best to share it with other people. And I think that's the goal that I have in, in, in all the stuff that I do, and what I want to encourage is that You know, we don't have to be these great uh, scholars, theologians to communicate and share the faith. Uh, We should be those who hang out with people who who do that. Those are the so-called saints, experts, spiritual writers. We've got to have common sense to discern who's good, who's not so good, but to communicate their life. And so, like, this whole presentation is really based upon... Scriptural, uh, spiritual writers, church fathers, doctors of the church, and to try and communicate a certain vision of Joseph that uh, we probably haven't really thought about through because we don't think scripture says too much.
1: Good stuff. So, and again, you're not ordained or clergy or anything. So, if you all are thinking about DRE or have never thought about it before, Think about it. We're uh, we're qualified. We're eligible. We can do it. Yes,
2: I'm a yeah. lowly layman. Now I've got some you know background degrees and whatnot. But yeah. I mean, to me, again, it's titles. We've all had teachers who have X Y Z's before yes. after their names, and it doesn't guarantee that they're uh, the best communicators of things spiritual. But that being said, today is Saint Joseph. It is Saint Joseph. Yeah. So I just want to say this is kind of part. One and two, I, I, I like to teach in terms of memory aid. So this, this one's going to be under the memory aid where we look at Scripture. It's going to be called Start. I'll get to that in a second. Part two will be Joseph, J-O-S-E-P-H, and have virtues for each one of, of, uh, of those letters. But I wanted to start with a short story kind of fitting. I, I, I walked in today here at St. Joe Radio, and uh, I noticed that uh, they have a gift shop. And there was a family there, and they had two, two boys, and they were looking at various things. And uh, one of the boys was looking at the holy cards. And he said, he said out loud, he goes, look, I, all, all these holy cards here, he goes, you never ever see a picture of Joseph. It's just Jesus and Mary. And he goes, why is that? You know, so the mom and dad were thinking about an answer to give him. And then the other brother chimed in and says, you, dumbbell, who do you think was the one taking all the photos? <laughs>
1: <laughs> that, that's true. Yeah. Well, that's why I'm not in any photos. That's for sure.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, it goes to show that, I mean, that's not a real true story there. But oh, it's, it's not? <laughs> he didn't take the photos? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, uh, so <clears throat> Joseph can be said to be the uh, really the hidden member of the Holy Family. Uh, he's like the one behind the scenes, if you will. I mean, really, it's only in recent times in the last 150 years that we see this Polaroid picture, speaking of photos, kind of developing. And you see this third member of the Holy Family coming into the fore. So it seems as if in our day, the Lord wants to direct us, hearts, families, parishes, dioceses, and churches to St. Joseph in a major way. So this is an action of the Holy Spirit, and it's been gaining momentum. And lo and behold... Pope Francis, December the 8th, 2020 to December the 8th, 2021, he declared in an apostolic letter this year of St. Joseph. So that's kind of the relevancy of our talk today. Uh, It's the 150th anniversary of the proclamation of St. Joseph as patron of the Universal Church by Mm -hmm. Pius IX back in 1870. So the Pope wrote a document called Patris Corte, which, which is a father's heart. And so... We want to kind of speak about the theme as we begin here today uh, and kind of why he wrote it. Again, this has been gaining momentum in the church. If you look at the past 150 years, you've got more so of Joseph being pronounced in the liturgy and statements right, and documents, yeah. and uh, we'll talk about some of those. But he said that the reason why he wrote this letter was because with the pandemic, he noticed all the hidden, unnoticed people who are playing a part in other people's lives, And a key part, in our own circle of influence, you know, we're we're saving lives. And he said that that's a lot like St. Joseph. He reminds us, he says, that those who appear hidden or in the shadows can play an incomparable role in the history of salvation. And at the end of the day, in our own lives, in our own families. So the folks behind the scenes, the ones that are the the hidden parents, the not-so-glamorous public figures that we venerate, these are the ones that he wanted to highlight, and what greater right way to do it through Saint Joseph? There so, you go. Yeah. So, just uh, a little bit about Pope Francis and his own devotion. Um, when when he became pope, he chose March the nineteenth, the feast of Saint Joseph, as the date for his papal inaugural mass. So, it's one of his most beloved saints, and uh, it's interesting if, if you look at his coat of arms, he's got a symbol for Our Lady and a symbol for Joseph. It's it's called a spike-nard flower. You, you might have seen; everyone's probably seen statues of Saint Joseph where he's holding a, some kind of a lily or a, a flower. In Spanish iconography, this is a spikenard flower, which has always been a symbol for St. Joseph. And it's really a symbol of the Holy Spirit. That spikenard is nard. That's what they use like in ointment you see, oh, uh, in, see. in the Gospels, Mark 14 and, and John 12. So it's this arom- ar- aromatic nard that is used to anoint people with. So it's really a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So what I wanted to do... As we have to in all these programs, right? We've got to start with prayer.
1: Oh, you're saving my job. <laughs> uh, that's what we do. We, as Father <laughs> Augustine always says, no good work starts without prayer. And obviously, we did and I did. So would you save me? Would
2: you start? Do I you will. have a prayer? Well, it's interesting. When you read his letter, Pope Francis, he said that every day for 40 years after morning prayer, he would recite a prayer to St. Joseph. Huh. So I thought it'd be fitting if we would unite with him because he said it today. Okay. So I just want to say, come Holy Spirit, as you uh, as we enter into this conversation about Saint Joseph, that you would anoint these words, all the ears that will hear them, and that you would, you know, in a way that only you can do, just to spread and touch people, to have a greater love for Joseph, and to really follow the Holy Father's lead here on trying to just grow in love and devotion to him. So I'm, I want to unite with Pope Francis's prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Glorious Patriarch St. Joseph, whose power makes the impossible possible, come to my aid in these times of anguish and difficulty. Take under your protection the serious and troubling situations that, that I commend to you, that they may have a happy outcome. My beloved Father, all my trust is in you. Let it not be said that I invoked you in vain. And since you can do everything with Jesus and Mary, Show me that your goodness is as great as your power. Amen.
1: amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. He sure did have a lot of difficulties, you know, young he, he was a man, he was getting married, and then Mary turns up you know, expecting and then then some crazy king wants to <laughs> kill his son and then he has to take yeah. his family to Egypt where yeah. I don't know how a carpenter makes his living in a in a desert. You know, he he,
2: he was quiet, but he sure did have a, a lot of challenges. He was a man of action. Yeah. And again, no recorded words of his, but what he did speaks volumes. So I want to get a little bit more into that whole background about Joseph and these various theories of why he chose to dismiss our lady, what that all oh, yeah. kind of means. Yeah. But first, I just want to go through like why Pope Francis wrote this letter. He it's a it's a threefold name. He said the aim of this letter is to increase our love for this great saint, to encourage us to implore his intercession and to imitate his virtues and his zeal. Oh. Now, this is majorly providential for our times because we know, and I've always said, one of the biggest crises of our time, it's not just unbelief, unbelievers, but it's really a crisis of fatherhood. And you think about the family and all the things that really need help that are dysfunctional. You've got broken homes, broken fathers, absentee fathers. You've got this lack of kind of godly men. You think about children in, in the womb. You think about work and labor, society, obedience, lack of respect for authority, You know, there's all these things. I think in a special way, I want to appeal to all the men, all the fathers, the grandfathers, the godfathers. You know, so many of us have had broken home lives. that We don't even know what it is to be a father. So um, I think we need to kind of go to Joseph to kind of fill in that hole. And if we follow his example, his lead, I think it's going to do a great work in our time and in our society right now. I mean, we need fathers and we need a model father. And this is one. We need good
1: men. And what, you know, look, women and mothers, there's this, the the backbone of society, but we men can make the difference. And what a great model of St. Joseph.
2: It is. So um, it's interesting when, when you go back, I mean, did you know, by the way, in the apparitions of Fatima that Joseph made an appearance. No. It, it was on October 13th, 1917. During the miracle of the sun, the children saw an image of St. Joseph next huh. to Our Lady holding the baby Jesus, and they were blessing the world. Look at that. So Lucia was the one who said, and you know," which I think is relevant for our times when you get down to it. She says, the final battle between the Lord and the reign of Satan will be about marriage and family.
1: Well, we're there. And, and
2: we're <laughs> there. So... Uh, The priest that wrote a book called The Consecration to St. Joseph, Father Don Calloway, which which I'll speak about in a second, he said that it's time to ask the Lord to send St. Joseph, the terror of demons, out onto the battlefield. And I think we need to do that. So, this book, Consecration to St. Joseph, um, great book. It's kind of three books in one. It talks about the devotional of the 33 day consecration. Kind of, we probably know that from the devotion to Our Lady. It also has a book of just of teachings of St. Joseph as well as a prayer book. So I say this now because there's going to be a lot of people throughout the Universal Church who will, beginning on February 15th, will do a 33-day consecration that will end on March 19th, the Feast of St. Joseph. Mm-hmm. So if you wanted to take part in that, I mean, you can do a consecration at any time during the year. It doesn't have to be according to a certain formula. But this is a book that kind of lays it all out there in a user-friendly way.
1: What a great priest, too, Father uh, Calloway. Yeah, Yeah, great priest. And, and, you know, if you want that book, you can get it here at 636-447-6000. Call any time, maybe after the program, uh, and get started. You can do it, too.
2: It's fitting because he has a letter, you can look at it online, that he sent to Pope Francis back in 2019, really begging him to call for a year of St. Joseph.
1: So it was his idea.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure that was a lot, but that was an impetus. So they got a picture of the cardinal who he gave the letter to, giving it to Pope Francis. So along with that book, I I just want to give two more. So first of all, it's the document that the Pope wrote himself, Patris Cordae. Very good, apostolic letter. It's written very user-friendly. And short, too. And short, too, right. And then there's this one by the Knights of Columbus. So this is found online, and all the knights in particular, you should be encouraged to read this. It's called St. Joseph, Our Father in Faith, by Father Frederick Miller. Another Miller. Oh, how does he spell it? (laughs) M-I-L-L-E-R. There you go. (laughs) So this can be found online. A short, great treatise uh, that is user-friendly, you can read within an hour. I've,
1: I've been to probably 35 parishes in the last couple of months, and a lot of the Knights of Columbus have these racks with books and yeah. tapes. That's one of the things. That's one of the books that's on every single rack.
2: That's good. Well, yeah. it's good stuff. So speaking of books, I I always use what, when I teach. Like, I compare it to like an oranges in an orchard. How do you get all this stuff in these in this field of books and wisdom and, and authorities and writings and church teaching and squeeze it into a user friendly glass you know glass for folks without a lot of pulp. Mm. And so I say so many books, so little time. So my way of looking at it is trying to put it in a memory aid. And that this is kind of like the takeaway for this presentation. And it's going to be under the memory aid start. Got it. So, in fact, whenever I give a presentation on like, a, you know, some teaching of the faith, morals, whatnot – I kind of go through this outline. So, start scripture, tradition, authority, reason, testimony. Got it. So, I look at the Old Testament, New Testament, tradition, creeds, councils, codes, catechisms, authorities, church fathers, holy fathers, reason, logic, analogies, experience, and then testimony. You know, oftentimes we come to a faith through the testimony of someone else to kind of trigger us on, then to go deeper. So, in this part, I just want to look at uh, scripture. So, what does scripture, God's revealed word in the Old and New Testament, say? Now, this might come as a surprise to some, since at first sight, there seems to be no material for a meditation on St. Joseph.
1: I, I don't think he said very much, did he? <laughs> and, but I, I'll tell you what I'm going to say. I'm going to say this is St. Joseph Radio Presents, and That's we're right. coming to you live from St. Louis, Missouri, That's the right. Rome of the West. I'm your host, Peter Kroots, and this is Sean Miller. And we are talking about St. Joseph in Scripture, Short. Short segment here, I think. That's right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. (laughs) So, well, it's actually when you, again, dig a little deeper in the well, boys, we got to find that there's something going on here. So uh, one thing to keep up at the front is the fact is that a lot of our material comes from the infancy narratives of Matthew and Luke, chapters 1 through 3. And where did they get this information from? None other than Our Lady. have to, Yeah. Yeah. So that's very interesting to ponder that. But I want to first by start talking about in the Old Testament. And I think, where's Joseph in the Old Testament? He's just in the New, right? Well, remember this. The principal purpose to which the plan of the Old Covenant was directed was to prepare for the coming of Christ. Okay, that's really the whole Old Covenant, Old Testament story. All these figures, persons, and events. Catechism says a great line, number 522. It says, The coming of God's Son to earth is an event of such immensity... That God willed to prepare for it over centuries. He makes everything converge on Christ, all the rituals, sacrifices, figures, and symbols of the first covenant. And that's kind of key. When you think about everything in the old is a preparation for the new. So Fulton Sheen wrote this book, in the, it's called The Life of Christ, and he said if God were to enter the world stage of history, you would expect that he would be pre-announced. Sure. So the two main ways are going to be what's called prophecy and typology. And we're going to look at what both of those mean. So first, prophecy. So he said to get a sense of the extraordinary nature of the prophecies of Christ, Sheen writes, take just one of him coming from the line of David. That meant that for about a thousand years, there had to be a male descendant in every single descendant from David in order to have a fulfillment of a prophecy like that. He said, think about how remarkable this would be. Abraham Lincoln, for example, has no living male descendant. So in in the genealogies of Matthew and Luke, we see Joseph from the house of David, who would serve as his final link in the chain of David for the God-man to come to earth. And that's really interesting to ponder, just that one thing. And we're going to get into what that prophecy was back in 2 Samuel 7. Then we have this word called typology, which if you are... um, a student of the Bible, this is where it comes alive. I mean, we should recognize this Recognize this because every Sunday at Mass, you know, you should be able almost by reading the, the uh, by, by hearing the Old Testament first reading, you should almost come to know what the gospel is. And if the gospel is read, you should almost know what the first reading was because they're meant to be parallels. That kind of, it meant to be what was foreshadowed in the old was fulfilled in the new. And this is a, a term called typology. So Catechism 120. it says the Church, as early as apostolic times and then constantly in her tradition, has illuminated the unity of the divine plan in the two testaments through typology, which discerns in God's works of the Old Covenant prefigurations of what he accomplished in the fullness of time in the purpose of his incarnate Son. So,
1: Somebody that looked like Joseph, acted <laughs> like Joseph, or might have been...
2: Yeah, maybe shared the same name as Jesus. Yeah, how about that? Well, now, it's interesting because it all kind of converges on Christ. You might see Jesus as the new Adam, the new Moses, Mm -hmm. the new Jacob, the new David, the new Solomon, the new Jeremiah. So there's a great saying there that St. Augustine said. He said that the New Testament lies hidden in the Old, and the Old Testament is unveiled in the New. The New is in the Old implicit. The Old is in the New explicit. The New is in the Old inferior. The Old is in the New superior. The New is in the Old concealed. The old is in the new revealed. The new is in the old contained. The old is in the new explained. So when you have that premise, you can see how in the scripture, like what Mark Twain said, history may not repeat itself, but it certainly does rhyme. And this is especially (laughs) the case in in, uh, salvation history. You, You can almost call this like divine type writing. So what was prefigured in the Old Testament was but a shadow, a type, compared to its fulfillment in the new. So if a was great, how much greater would be be? Mm-hmm. So if this is the shadow, oh, what must be the light? And so then you see that in the writings of some of the popes, like, for instance, Pope Pius the IX, who was the one who were celebrating 150 years later, what he wrote as St. Joseph as a patron of the church, him and Pope Leo both wrote these documents that said the Joseph of ancient times, son of the patriarch Jacob, was the type of St. Joseph... And the former, by his glory, prefigured the greatness of the future guardian of the holy family. So a number of parallels can be made with Joseph of the Old Testament and Jesus, of course. I mean you think about them being sold for the silver, mm-hmm. betrayed by his brethren, so forth. There's a lot of things that we could say. Uh, but in this case, we really see this double type. In fact, one author wrote, he goes, there could be no manner of doubt that God designed to give an exact and elaborate figure or type of our St. Joseph in the person of the ancient patriarch Joseph. If we're going to understand the full meaning, dignity, and office of Joseph, we have to understand how he was prefigured in God's plan through Joseph in the Old Testament. And now here's where it gets really interesting and we can see the parallels. Again, this is divine type writing. So in Matthew and Luke, we can look at the parallels, right? Number one, both share the same name, Joseph, sure. which, by the way, it means may God increase, which we'll speak about the oh, next time good. about how Joseph can help us increase in all kinds of things, virtue and whatnot. So both share the same name. Both have fathers named Jacob. The mother of the ancient Joseph, the beautiful Rachel, was buried near Bethlehem, which is associated with Joseph's family history. God spoke to both of them through dreams. Go figure. Both of them were called just and righteous. Both had vocational calls that formed them as models of chastity. You think of Joseph the patriarch in rebuffing the advances of another spouse, and Saint Joseph in remaining and pledging his life virginally to a virgin in, mar- in, in, in his marriage to Mary, the spouse of the Holy Spirit. So that's why we call him Saint Joseph, the most chaste spouse. Yeah, yeah. And then both would protect and provide for their families by bringing them to Egypt, where they would do what? They would protect the wheat, the, quote, the bread of life that will save in the one case the world from famine in the other world in the other the entire world from sin and spiritual death. So then this is interesting when you think about where Jesus was even born. Right? He was born in Bethlehem which means the house, house of, of bread. bread. That's the city of David. So right. Joseph is going to protect this saving food, the bread of life, similar comparable to Joseph of old who protected the wheat that would save the world. That was good. I had never put that together. That's good. You know, an interesting thing, is so if you know the story of Joseph, when people think of Joseph of the Old Testament in, in modern-day terms, they think of, like, what, Joseph and the Technicolor? Yeah, that's a good musical. Yeah, great song. <laughs> now, think of this, though, in light of St. Joseph. So another parallel makes mention of him being clothed in a special garment. The ancient Joseph was clothed in a special garment of various colors as a sign of his father's particular love, by which it signified that our Joseph should be set apart and fitted with various graces for the role he was to play in salvation history. So if you think, those whom God chooses for a a particular role, especially this, he's going to prepare. So we see this in Our Lady's Immaculate Conception, right? She was preserved from all stain of sin to give birth to the Savior without sin. So is it not fitting, pun intended, that Joseph would be especially suited, pun intended, as well? As Mary was highly favored and blessed among all women prepared for her role, so too we can see a parallel of Joseph being favored and blessed among all men for the role that he was to f- fill.
1: Yeah, sometimes we contemplate how God would create Mary in the most perfect sense to be the mother of Jesus, but equally, he's going to give Jesus right. a great protector to right. a great man. Yeah, yeah.
2: if you're going to have someone... Watch your child, whether it's a babysitter, oh. a tutor, oh. a teacher. Think about that. Now, just imagine God preparing for the Son of God to come to earth. Right. And what kind of man would he form? So, so that, I think that's fitting to ponder that role. Now, lastly, we think of Joseph of old being appointed as head of, of, of the household of the King Pharaoh, and here St. Joseph is appointed head of the household of the King of Kings and the Holy Family. So we see this extension of the church, which is the continuation of the incarnation in time, And in this year of St. Joseph, we recognize the 150th anniversary of the proclamation of Joseph as patron of the universal church. It makes you think about the Lord's parable, Matthew 24. Who then is this faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. So when you think of Joseph being entrusted in that role as head of the Holy Family, head of the Universal Church, we should have some serious confidence when we go to him as well. So this go to Joseph, that's the term you might see at various uh, statues or paintings. That's Genesis 4155. That's what the pharaoh said. Look, if you want some help, go to Joseph. So it's interesting. If you would go here to the Kenrick-Glennon Seminary Chapel in St. Louis, there's an artistic depiction under the death of St. Joseph, and it says, go to Joseph. So that expression evokes the famine in Egypt when the Egyptians begged Pharaoh for bread. He in turn replied, go to Joseph, what he says to you, do. Do whatever he tells you in the same way you kind of see it here with Joseph. So popular trust and devotion to St. Joseph, the guardian of Jesus, is an echo from this Old Testament exhortation. So... I just want to say, Lord, we just pray right now for St. Joseph to come into the hearts and minds in his intercession through all these people that are hearing these words. Um, We're really trying to communicate his fatherly role. So we just pray, St. Joseph, for your intercession now, again, as we did at the beginning, just to kind of help us to understand who you are and and how to uh, imitate your virtue and your love for the Lord. Amen. Amen. So um, part two that we're going to look at next time is going to be under the uh, person and virtues of Joseph under these. Like uh, it's interesting, Scott Hahn in his book, Joy to the World, he speaks of Joseph as uh, the silent knight, K N I G H T,
1: holy knight. Yeah. And
2: he really is this royal knight. And uh, But I want to say, like Joseph, you think of J O S E P H, just, obedient, silent, example, educator, provider, protector, head, husband, humble, holy. Those are going to be some of the virtues that we're going to be speaking about. But I want to start off with the J in this royal night, not the J under just. So that one word that's depicted of Joseph, just, Mm -hmm. it means righteous. And when you look at that, it's really fascinating to ponder, especially in the Psalms and Proverbs, every time it uses the word just. But we're going to save that for next time. So this J, I'm going to focus on the genealogies of Matthew and and Luke, and particularly the J's of Judah, Jesse, Jacob, Joseph, and Jesus. Well, I hope you've all been taking notes, because
1: I certainly have. Uh, We're going to take a quick two-minute break, but look at that typology, right? Uh, Jacob, same father's name, spoke to Joseph in in dreams, chastity, running to Egypt for protection. Well, We'll be back in just a moment or two. Please tell a friend, tell them to join us in, join in with us, and we are going to talk more about St. Joseph right here in the year of St. Joseph on St. Joseph Radio Presents. (laughs) I guess there's a lot of St. Josephs out there. So call a friend, tell them to join us, we'll be back in about two minutes.
0: Looking for a way to teach your children about our Catholic faith? Colby Academy has the solution. Offering a curriculum that is loyal to the magisterium, classical, ignatian, flexible and affordable, Colby can help with all your homeschooling needs. We offer a wide range of services, including live online courses for those looking for assistance teaching their students, recorded self-paced courses for those who want teacher instruction while needing the flexibility to move at their own pace, and traditional homeschool courses for maximum flexibility in home education. Our support services include advising for parents, record keeping and transcript services, a grading service, standardized testing, and guidance and college counseling. For more information, check out their website at colby.org. That's k o l b e.org or give them a call, area code 707. 707- 255 6499. That's 707 6499. It's Colby Academy. <laughs> Including Professor John Gresham, Father James Mason, Karen Nokemper, Rick Hollerich, Bill Federer, and many more. To review the program list, go to SJEN.TV or on Roku SJEN TV. All this programming is free, and we are welcoming sponsorship of new programs. Find out more at SJEN.TV. <laughs> Well, welcome back. This is Peter
1: Karutz. We're here with Sean Miller, who, and we are talking about St. Joseph. But before we carry on again, let me just remind everybody that first Friday, which is the 5th of February, there's going to be Mass and uh, Holy Hour and Benediction at St. Angela Marisi, at 3860 North Highway 67 in Florissant. What a wonderful parish. I mean, it's just absolutely a wonderful, vibrant parish. Also, on Saturday, we have an ongoing series of First Saturday speakers. That's February 6th, this coming, at after the 8 a.m. Mass. So come to Mass, and then we'll have some ca- coffee, fellowship. And then at 9 o'clock, we'll have a speaker, which is Deacon Bill Tillman, from St. Norbert's Parish. So please, keep that in mind. Um, And then also, uh, the phone number here is 636-447-6000, and I'm not asking you to call in during this program, but remember the number if you would like one of the books that uh, Sean has been describing. We have them here, and happy to do it. And more importantly, you're probably not taking notes as fast as I am, and I'm not taking notes fast enough. If you would like a copy of this program or any of the programs we do, please give us a ring, and we'll be happy to send it to you. Um, so, Sean, we are into part two. We're talking about Joseph, and I guess his first initial starts with a J. A uh,
2: J. So uh, we're going to be speaking about the genealogies, but the Js in particular. Think about the, those lines that you read about in Matthew and Luke. You got guys like Judah and Jesse and Jacob and Joseph and, of course, Jesus. So the first thing we got to say about Joseph is that he was Jewish, right? So Jacob, his father was named after Jacob the patriarch, who gave birth to a son, one of whom was Judah, right? The Judahites, the Jewish, that's where we get the term Jewish from. That goes back to this prophecy back in Genesis 49 that Jacob Israel gave. He said, the scepter, which is a symbol of authority and power, shall not depart from Judah until he comes to whom it belongs, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. So St. Joseph was descended from the tribe of Judah of the house of David. Now remember, David. David... He's a key figure back in the Old Testament. He's a key figure. If you read Matthew's Gospel, it's all about David. So he's the great figure of the Old Testament to whom was given one of the greatest prophecies in all of history. He was the son of Jesse from Bethlehem, that little town of which the future Messiah was prophesied to be born. So if you read Micah 5, you hear it every year at Christmas. But you, O Bethlehem, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from old, from ancient days. So... There is the prophecy, but around 1,000 BC, David was given this great covenant promise. 2 Samuel seven twelve, When the days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up after your offspring, who shall come forth from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. And then here's the line, verse 16, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. I mean, what a prophecy, Psalm 89, 28. I will not lie to David. His line shall endure forever, his throne as long as the sun before me. Now, there was a problem, though. Here's this huge promise, and David's overwhelmed, and all went well for a time. But then David's son Solomon and his successors, they didn't remain faithful. Eventually, the kingdom was split. On top of that, foreign nations came in, destroyed, deported the people of God. Everybody's wondering, what about God's promise? I mean, Humpty Dumpty had a great fall under not Adam and Eve, just but uh, David and you know his uh, his son. So now, recall David's father was Jesse. Now, many of us have heard of the Jesse Tree devotion mm-hmm. at Christmas, which recounts the ancient persons and events which preceded and foretold the coming of the Messiah. So really, it's an Advent devotion where you gather in this ancestral line, thinking about the persons, places, and things that you know prefigured. What would happen when Christ comes. So this comes, this Jesse tree devotion comes from Isaiah 11.1. 1. A shoot will spring forth from the stump of Jesse and a branch out of his roots. Jeremiah 23, 5 says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. The word is for branch, we get the word Nazareth from that. So it's interesting, just as a little footnote here. This word for branch. It's Netzar, N-E-T-S-E-R. Scholars have pointed out the link with the word Netzer and the town of Nazareth, which means branch town or village of the shoot. So this is the town where the Holy Family settled, as we know, and where many believe Joseph of Nazareth and possibly Our Lady was born. Some have speculated that Joseph's father was born in Nazareth and his mother in Bethlehem, as we see that he has mm-hmm. property there, that he has to go back when the census take place. But Matthew speaks, and Matthew um, 7 and 9 and 11, or wait, I'm sorry, Isaiah 7, 9 and 11, he makes reference to this, a virgin shall conceive unto us a child is born. And then he talks about this shoot that is going to spring in a branch out of the root. So here's this prophecy that one day, even though Jesse's line seems it looks like it's a stump now, after David, it seemed to be cut down, something's going to come forth. So Matthew fills in the gaps and records in his gospel this link of successors through David to Joseph and then to Jesus. Now, he starts it out with Abraham, and then he goes through David and ultimately to Jesus. Now, it's interesting when Matthew begins this link from Abraham to David, it's, it's to hearken back that he's making many promises in the Old Testament. This is what God does. He promised, God promised Israel kings and descendants. And only twice does he solemnly pledge an oath to bless all nations. One's going to be with Abraham, Once one's going to be with David, And it's going to be at the same site, you know, this place where the temple is built in, in Jerusalem. And that's where Christ is going to come to basically be the total fulfillment of this. Now, I say that as a backdrop because when you read Matthew's genealogy, this is interesting. He depicts this ancestry in three sets of 14 names, 14 from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the Babylonian exile, and 14 from the exile to Joseph. This is a mnemonic device which plays on the numerical value assigned to the Hebrew letters of David's name. D, V, D, D equals 4, V equals 6, D equals 4 for 14. So Matthew is showing, in a user-friendly way, how the promise given by God to David is coming to fulfillment in Jesus Christ, the King. So what's key here is the figure of David the king, and we're going to be talking about the kingdom. I mean, all throughout the Lord's ministry, it's about the king and the kingdom. He is going to be the son of David. Now, it's interesting, the title son of David, it's messianic. It, Jesus is called the son of David 17 times. The only other person who's called the son of David is? Solomon. Joseph. Joseph. After, after Solomon. I'm, ah. talking, I'm talking in the, okay. in the New Testament. I yeah. It. yeah. Yeah. But there's a parallel there with, with uh, Solomon, too. But now, all that's a prelude to come to this great kingdom come, this great king. And what's going to happen? Here comes the annunciation of the angel Gabriel to Mary. Luke 1, 26 through 33. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, and he, he's sure to put in there, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. You will conceive. He will be great. He will be called the Son of Most High. And then here's the link. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. It's going back to 2 Samuel 7, that great promise. So then we got the second visitation, Annunciation, to Joseph. Now, Mary was betrothed. At that time, it meant she was legally married to Joseph of this royal house of David.
1: That's right. How do you divorce somebody if you're not already married?
2: (laughs) Right. So it's assumed that Mary was also of the house of David, since it was common practice to marry someone from one's own tribe. So Mary, the new Eve, had already given her fiat, the great yes to the angel. And thus our Lord would come through the bloodline of a royal descendant of the house of David. What was fitting then... Given the divine conception of the Lord without the seed of a man was the second yes of a man from the house of David, whose yes would give adoptive, legal, royal rights to a child to be a member of the house of David through the father's line. So following Jewish custom, Jesus received full hereditary rights through Joseph, even though he was adopted. So we get to this point where a word about St. Joseph the Just, why was he planning on divorcing, some translations have divorce, the better translation is to dismiss or to separate himself from her, to distance himself from her. Why was he planning on doing that quietly when he found out she was with child? So let's go through kind of a common translation here that's given, Matthew 1, 18 to 23. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and willing to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God is with us. So a, quick, a, a few quick notes. First, Mary and Joseph are betrothed. That's legally married, stage one, right? According to Jewish custom, before they came together, she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. It says that. Okay, well, who who found out? Well, obviously, Joseph found out, right? Then we got these. We we need help with these two Greek words, which can be translated here as exposed to shame or or divorce. We can't go into all the details, but a valid retranslation is proposed by this Jesuit scholar, Father Ignace de la. Pottery, he says, but Joseph, her spouse, who was a just man and who did not wish to unveil her mystery, resolved to secretly separate himself from her. Now, that's kind of what you would call part of the reverence theory. Throughout the history of the church, there's been three theories. There's no unanimous consensus on this. People are kind of free to believe various things, but I want to kind of do my best to muster up a theory that this isn't suspicion, this isn't confusion. This is what we would call reverence. Joseph knows what's going on. He knows the child's of the Holy Spirit. And he, out of holy fear and reverence and justice, decides, like Scott Hahn once said, to kind of genuflect Mm -hmm. and then back away. Because there's a big difference when you think of Joseph desiring to divorce his wife versus distancing himself from her out of a sense of justice and reverence. It's difficult to reconcile a man of great virtue desiring to divorce an innocent wife. So St. Thomas Aquinas wrote, he said, Joseph wanted to give the Virgin Mary her liberty, not because he, re- he suspected her of adultery, but because out of respect for her sanctity, he feared to live together with her. He recognized the virtue necessary to protect such a profound mystery. He feared that in his human weakness, he might defile the mystery by remaining close. Now, the great scripture scholar of antiquity is St. Jerome, and he holds to this reverence theory. Now, In reference to St. Jerome, St. Augustine said, what Jerome is ignorant of, no mortal has ever known. That's kind of the uh, uh, reverence he gave him. So if you know the story of Jerome, he would go on to live in one of the caves of Bethlehem, near the birth cave of Jesus, for 30 years. So apart from his being the premier scripture scholar of antiquity, I like to think his proximity to the events of the early life of the Lord kind of gave him an edge of proper uh, interpretation. no doubt. So (laughs) briefly... uh, What Jerome said, I'm going to try and connect some of the dots now here. First, in light of what we said regarding typology, remember Joseph is described as just. It's a term describing someone deeply versed in scriptures. Joseph, he probably knew the scriptures by heart. I'm sure he knew the Psalms. He knew these great promises. So 2 Samuel, David, I'm going to raise an offspring up after you. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father. He shall be my son. Micah, Bethlehem, the The Savior is going to come from Bethlehem. Isaiah, a virgin shall conceive. And then there shall come forth from this shoot from the stump of Jesse. So he kind of knows all these things going on. He's going to connect some of the dots. He's betrothed to a virgin from Nazareth, visited from the angel Gabriel. There's prophecies there from Daniel, a conception of the child of the Holy Spirit, the Son of God from eternity. He's seen all these things going on, Bethlehem, links. So is it a surprise if Joseph might have broken out in a little sweat in light of this incomprehensible task before him when he says, uh-oh, he's realizing that the dots are converging on him and he is going to be this one to take on this task. So this uh-oh could be an oh-no, not me. It's kind of like what we all have, this fight or flight. Who am I? Who am I, Lord, to take on this great task? Now... If that sounds hard to reconcile, you think of every great prophet in the Old Testament. Think of Moses, right? Right. As soon as he gets the call from the Lord... Not me. Moses said to God, who am I? Yeah. You know, what if? I am slow. Oh, no. I pray, Lord, send another. So he makes this, they call it the excuses of, of Moses. Then you think of Joshua, right? Anytime a, a, a person got a vision or a word from the Lord... Well, what would happen is there would be an excuse, and then God would say, Do not be afraid. I am with you. He would strengthen them for the task at hand that he's giving his grace. You think of Joshua. Be strong of good courage. Be not frightened. Don't be dismayed. The Lord God is with you. Gideon. Lord, I'm not worthy. Isaiah. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. Jeremiah. Lord, I don't know how to speak. I'm only a youth. Be not afraid. I am with you. Ezekiel. Do not be afraid. Daniel. Fear not. We all probably know what happened with the prophet Jonah.
1: Yeah, yeah. You could say no, and you could run in the wrong direction, but uh, God has a plan,
2: (laughs) right? So, when he got the word of the Lord, he took off the other way. He truly wanted to distance himself. Yeah, the
1: Lord said, "Go by land to the east." He got on a boat and went on on the sea to the west. So, go
2: (laughs) ahead. (laughs) Right. So now here's 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 what's key. It's one thing to carry a message from the Lord, and quite another to carry the messenger. So think of an image of Joseph holding the child Jesus in his arms. It is one thing for a prophet to get a word from the Lord and quite another to parent the word, the Lord, the word of the Lord made flesh. Now, you go to the New Testament, right? Think of some of the reactions of people that had when they knew that Jesus, the God-man, was in front of them. I mean, right away with the miraculous catch of fish. What did Peter say? depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. I'm a sinful man. Matthew 8, the centurion said, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, which we say every weekend at Mass. So then one can imagine the prospect of Joseph being confronted with the godchild living under his roof. Well,
1: this is St. Joseph Radio Presents, coming to you live from St. Louis, Missouri, the Rome of the West. We're with Uh, Sean Miller. I almost mispronounced it, as I usually do. And we're talking about St. Joseph. And again, if you're not taking notes, you really should. And if you didn't, that's okay. Call us at 636-447-6000, and you can get a copy of this program or anything else we do, as well as the books that Sean has mentioned. So I'm sorry I interrupted you. That's okay. It's It's the law, you know. We got to do that stuff. (laughs) So we're talking about uh, Joseph and his role in the uh, mystery of salvation.
2: Yeah, so we're going to try and bring it home here. So the key text of all these texts I've said is the one that is recorded of the visitation of Mary to Elizabeth. She said, Who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Luke 1.43. Now this is where you kind of got to dig deep in Scripture. So if you go back a few verses earlier to Luke 1.35, it says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. This is to Our Lady from the Angel. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. Now, the word "overshadow" there is the same term used in Exodus 40 to speak about the cloud of the Holy Spirit overshadowing the tent, the tabernacle in the wilderness, All right? That was the presence of God over this great ark, and it's overshadowed. And we know that the word, when it says the word became flesh in Jesus, it literally says he tabernacled among us. So Luke is going to show a connection with Our Lady and this tabernacle and this ark of the So we got to think back to this and how it relates to 2 Samuel 7 and this great promise that was given by God, I'm sorry, from God to David. So briefly, 2 Samuel 7, you go back a chapter earlier from that, and I want to compare 2 Samuel 6 with Luke 1, and and this is really fascinating. Just look at these terms. 2 Samuel 6, 2, David arose and went to Judah. Luke 1, 39, Mary arose and went to Judah. 2 Samuel 6, 9, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? Luke 1.43, who am I that the mother of the Lord should come to me? 2 Samuel 6.11, the ark stayed there for three months. Luke 1.56, Mary stays with Elizabeth for three months. 2 Samuel 6.16, David leapt before the ark. Luke 1.41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the infant leapt in her womb. Now, the Greek word Luke uses to describe Elizabeth's loud cry of joy isn't used anywhere else in the New Testament. It's only used five places in the Old, and every time used to describe the exaltation before the... Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark was holy. I mean, people might only know the Ark from the Raiders of the Lost Ark, but you know what it contained? It contained... Three things. Three things. The Ten Commandments, the Ten Words of God, the rod of the high priest, and a portion of the man of the heavenly bread. You compare that with Jesus. He's not just the Ten Words of God. He's the Word of God. He's not just... Carrying the rod of the high priest. He is the high priest. He is the bread of life. Now, what I found this link fascinating was in 2 Samuel 6, 2, David is going to invite the ark into his home, into his city. There's this great procession that's going to take place. He's like, who am I living in this palace? And the ark of God is living in this tent. So he's going to bring it up. Now, if you know the story, David arose, he's going to bring up the ark. They're going to sing and rejoice and whatnot. They're bringing this ark in. There's this guy named Uzzah. It said that he put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen stumbled that was carrying it. And it says, and God smote him there because he put forth his hand to the ark and he died there beside the ark of God. Remember, the ark was the holiest object in all the Old Testament. No one could touch it. Only the high priest would go in and see it once a year. But look at David's reaction. He says, this is 2 Samuel 6, 9, David was afraid of the Lord that day and he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into his, his home, house. his city. Yeah. Now, what's, what's, what's the link there? Remember, so what did he do? After this, he said, okay, let's take the ark, let's set it aside, and he put it in this house of a guy named Obad edom the Gittite, for three months. And then when he saw that the house was blessed... He brought the ark into his home, and from there, there was rejoicing. And when you compare that to Our Lady, that Joseph is probably afraid knowing what this holy vessel is. And he's got this, I mean, we don't really know the timeline about what happened from the betrothal, the angel, the visitation, and how this is going on. But I think Luke is trying to show a parallel here that Joseph is kind of afraid to take the ark of the Lord into his home. So if Joseph already knows that Mary is pregnant by the Holy Spirit, and if this very knowledge is the reason for his planning to separate or distance himself from her out of reverential fear, then the angel's words are understood to respond directly to that reality by telling him not to hesitate about continuing with the marriage. He's to have an important role here. He's going to be Mary's husband, and he's going to be the one to name the child. So you can just imagine how the angel's words would have spoken to him, how Joseph is in awe and wonder. You know, for him, living with Mary and the child would be tantamount to setting up his carpenter shop in the Holy of Holies. Now, this intimate closeness to God would have been inconceivable to a Jew who sought meticulously to fulfill the requirements of the covenant. So again, this is an attitude of holy fear here. And I think this is what Joseph was dealing with. And this is why he needed to be reassured to be not afraid. Whenever you see be not afraid, it's a mission. It's a call. And it's, yes, you are unworthy. Who am I? But I will strengthen you. I will be with you.
1: And the most frequent phrase in scripture. Yeah. Be not afraid.
2: So in summary, I would say, just as David would overcome his fear and bring the ark of the covenant into a city, so Joseph of the house of David, strengthened by the angel, would overcome his fear and bring Mary the ark, the word made flesh in her womb, into his home. So Jesus comes at this end of this great long, if you will, fishing line. Think of the genealogy as a fishing line. And at the end of the line, Mary and Joseph are going to tie the knot around the J, the hook, which is Jesus. This great hook who's going to be the one who's going to save the world. He's the great fisher of men to kind of draw us out. He's going to be fishing in the boat, the Ark of Peter which is going to be his kingdom on on earth until he comes again. So when I was thinking about the J, the J's, this is how we began this whole section here. Um, You might think about that, guys, if you're out fishing. Or even when you go to, you probably heard of the legend of the candy cane, which goes back to Christmas. I don't know if you've ever heard it. Vaguely.
1: Well, it it looks like an upside-down J, I guess, but there's something there, I guess.
2: Well, briefly, I'll, I'll read it. It says, when you look at the candy cane, what do you see? I see stripes that are red, like his blood shed for me. White is for my Savior, who's sinless and pure. J is for Jesus, my Lord, I adore. Turn it around, and the staff you will see: Jesus, my Shepherd, who was born and died for me. So this, this J, this Jesus. I think of the candy cane. We go back to Bethlehem, and so Pope Benedict wrote that from you know. Think back why they went to Bethlehem to travel there and where this Jesus would be born. And Joseph is given this great task to do what? To name him, Mm -hmm. to officially adopt him as his own. So Pope Benedict wrote that we know from various sources that those affected by the census had to present themselves where they owned property. Accordingly, we may assume that Joseph of the House of David had property in Bethlehem so that he had to go there for tax registration. The Pope goes on to state that the emperor unwittingly contributes to the realization of the prophecy of Micah about the Savior being born in Bethlehem. And the Pope makes the point how the history of the salvation of Israel enters the wider world of world history. God, who is the God of Israel and all peoples, shows himself to be the true guiding force behind all history. So to bring it home, we got about two minutes left? We got about 30 seconds. Oh, my gosh. Okay, I just want to say this then. Who am I? Who am I to take on this responsibility? You think of the Holy Father and, and his taking on the role of being the shepherd of the church. He had this room of tears in the Vatican. You think of every father who is afraid of commitment, raising children. we got to say, okay, men, step up. All of us who have a, a mission, who am I? Do not be afraid. I'm with you. That's why God appeared to Joseph. That's what he can do in strengthening us. We need to kind of invoke his intercession and be the men that God wants us to be. So help us, God, fearful, afraid that we are. Even if it takes an angel to appear to us, let's do it.
1: Amen. And, and we have that constant companion that Joseph did, Mary. We're, we're going to be back next week with another great program, and next month with Sean again. Please tell a friend and join us for part two in about a month.
0: <laughs> Thank you.